0: happen. I'm telling you, if you don't quit fooling around, it's going to catch up with you. If you don't quit pushing your luck, it's going to reach right out of the privet hedges and grab you. Why do you know what? <laughs> yes, if you don't stop pushing your luck, it's just going to reach out and grab you. About ten minutes ago, I'm, I'm walking through Times Square under that fantastic sign that says the Bible in uh, Cinemascope widescreen ultrascope erotic color it's spread out all across the sky there and the lights are lighting up and in the middle of it all there's a guy walking right down the sidewalk there with 16,000 people and of course you know what Times Square is like you know <laughs> but was walking up and down anyway he's walking down Times Square and he's got a big sign holding it up it's about 15 stories high it looks like it's got a big high pole and on the top of the sign simply says sin now pay later, which I kind of think puts it in sort of a nutshell, you know, that's not a bad idea. I wonder where it is. There must be some place where you can put it all on credit, sign for the whole, the whole shebang, you know, as we go, as we go marching towards the edge of the cliff. If you were to select music to go over the cliff by, music to go into the abyss with, Alongside the whole crowd, you know, entire mankind is with you. Bring it up there, man. Terrible singer. But one thing about that, it's all style. And, you know, speaking of style, and I don't. I don't know what the meaning of this is here. I. Uh, I'm a great reader of out-of-town newspapers, and sometimes when you read out-of-town newspapers, you can tell what's happening out there in the world. That is aside from what's happening right here in New York, which is not exactly the world. Here's one from Hunterton County Democrat, which is in New Jersey, Flemington, New Jersey. It's a. a one ad, it said free horse manure, uh, basket or truck, rich from registered Arabian horses I guess that's the best kind I, I don't know I, I just it's funny that it's free though so I guess you can't complain because that's the way life is a lot of that is free anyways carried around the basket but then again, on the other hand speak you that in the New Yorker here on February 13th right here there's an ad it shows this angry looking lady and uh, she's looking at her cat and uh, under the uh, picture of this angry-looking lady, you see this uh, caption It says, For women can't make shirts, not blouses. I guess that kind of lays it out there. It's funny how, how surprisingly uh, realistic a lot of this stuff gets. And before we go any further, would you please hit the uh, money button in there, George? Please. <laughs> Highlight the bright clear taste in beer. Miller Highlight the champagne of bottled beer. There's only one champagne of bottled beer. Sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Miller Highlight. Brewed only in Milwaukee from a century-old recipe, Miller Highlight has a rich heritage and tradition. A bright clear taste. Unequaled, unquestioned, unchanging. Available on tap, in cans, and in the familiar crystal clear bottle. Miller High Life is always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Enjoy Miller High Life yourself. Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. Yes, Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. Yes, uh, somebody sent me this uh, three color ad here. It's uh, kind of a nice one, too. It's very pretty. It's in soft pastel shades. And uh, it's uh, called a grenade lighter. And it shows a hand here holding it. You see, it's a real grenade, too. And it, really looks something. it looks and feels like a real hand grenade. But pull the ring or push the button, and you get an immediate light. <laughs> Uh, they go on to say, Realistic reproduction of a gra- grenade assures this lighter of long, hard use. For it is a real conversation piece and a unique gift. Now, the key word in this, of course, is long, hard use. Uh, it's the kind of thing you just don't get tired of. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, grenades have had a had a deep fascination for people since time began. And I can see a lot of different... This is a new idea in uh, conversation pieces, actually. Grenade here, Charlie, watch here, catch. That'll cause a little excitement. Uh, I can see a whole new area of decor breaking out like this. For example, you can have a uh, bazooka shell. Well, that's a uh, interesting looking. Have you ever seen a bazooka shell, Matt? Very attractive. It's very functional looking. Very streamlined. Very looks it's very interesting. A bazooka shell that actually is an electric can opener. You just hook up. It's a lot of conversation. What's that over there, Myrtle? She says, well, nothing. Watch. And uh, it comes to look. Then there's other things, too. I, I kind of think a, an 80-millimeter mortar shell would make a kind of a nice uh, ashtray. Keep things moving in your house. Although I remember I did have an uncle. You know, it's a strange thing. I had an uncle who was in World War One, And uh, this uncle had his house. He had all kinds of stuff like that sitting around the house. For example... He had, as an umbrella stand, he had a gigantic shell. It was one of these big Bertha kinds, and a big bronze shell. It was about three and a half feet tall. It had been shot off at somebody. He just had the cartridge on, there it was. And he had his canes and umbrellas and fishing rods and stuff. And that was the first thing you saw when you came in the house. And then after you got closer into the house, you know, the, the different things, he had, uh, for example, he had 105 shells cut off for ashtrays little 105 shells. And as uh, paperweights, he had things like 3006 uh, cartridges, at the paperweights. And uh, he was my nice uncle. And actually, he was not a warlike uncle. He just was something very basic about this thing. Now, if James Bond did not carry guns, I suspect James Bond would not be nearly as attractive to people. I mean, he carries big Roscoe's. <laughs> He's really, really, I mean, He shows up with a Roscoe, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> you never heard that expression? Isn't that, an, is that not an expression used here in the East, Roscoe? Well, uh, I, I remember as a kid, one of the first times I ever heard it said was the time that my father was working in this office. And a guy came in and held up the office where he was working. And uh, there was a lot of excitement of people calling home. You know, they're calling calling to my mother. And that my father was the cashier in this place. And, and of course, he was held up in a big excitement. The newspapers were in. And uh, my father my father came into the house. And my mother said, what happened? And my father, first thing he says, my father says, well, this guy came in. He was wearing a mask. And he pulled the biggest Roscoe out of his pocket you ever saw in your life. He pulled this Roscoe out, pointed it right in my face and said, all right, hand it over. And I'm sitting there, I'm a little kid, you know, and the idea of a guy pulling a big Roscoe out of his pocket and pointing it at somebody's face, my old man's face, and saying, hand it over. And the old man wasn't particularly scared. He was kind of amazed that uh, somebody would pull a Roscoe. There, by the way, there's a cartoon like that in The New Yorker. It's an odd little cartoon this week. It shows a very distinguished-looking guy. looks a little bit like, oh, uh, sort of a cross between Eugene Palette. Uh, maybe uh, Dean Rusk with a little touch of Bernard Baruch. And he's standing there talking to a friendly little old lady in the bank. And the little old lady is in the, let's see, what department is she? Oh, paying and receiving. She's friendly to the little lady, you know, with a little lace collar. And he's standing there with his Chesterfield coat. with the, He's got the uh, velvet collar around there and his little striped tie. And he's holding an umbrella, a bumbershoot. And he has a very pleasant look on his face. And he says, it may come as something of a surprise to you, but uh, this is a stick-up. <laughs> and that's exactly the way. Have you ever been around when somebody got held up? You ever been around when something happened like that? It's never, it, believe me, so help me, it's never the way you think it's going to be. The only time I was ever anywhere near a, a real newspaper story of that kind, you know, the sudden crime breaks out. I could not believe it. I was sitting in a diner in Covington, Kentucky. Diner, you know, there we are, it's two o'clock. Well, that's, already we got something going. (laughs) Everybody said, what the devil are you doing in Covington, Kentucky? That's another story. We'll, that's a whole can of peas we won't even open up now. We might as well hit the money button before we get into this, stick around. I'll tell you what happened in the diner, hit it. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Is this Klopman's Grocery? Oh, yes, ma'am. It doesn't sound like Klopman. Well, Mr. Klopman's waiting on a customer. I'm not a customer? Oh, yes, ma'am. He'll be right here. Who has time to wait for Klopman? You write down my order. I want two pounds of sausage. Uh Uh-huh. And two pounds of Park's famous flavor sausage. okay? K? What Parks? I didn't say Parks. Well, you want the best. I'll wait for Klopp. Only Parks' famous flavor sausage has such an extravagant blend of spices and seasoning, Such quality. Listen. Bring home the sausage, be a hero. Yes, bring home the sausage, P-A-R-K-S. Sausage to win ya, Sausage that's braver. Up from Virginia, Parks. Famous flavor. Bring home more parts sausages, Mom. Listen, you got such a great product. Why are you standing in a little corner grocery store singing on the telephone to a middle-aged housewife? We love you. Oh man. Uh, let's see. <laughs> speaking of middle-aged housewives. This is W O R A M at F M New York. And uh, well, been here for a while. We don't have any more of those, do we? Oh, yes, indeed, we do. We have American Heritage here. You know, I'm going to tell you something that's, uh, I suppose, kind of embarrassing. I shouldn't tell it to you. That I have American Heritage going back to its first issue when it was a thin, very thin little magazine that, as a matter of fact, was not hardcover and nobody knew anything about it. And how I got it, you know, how I got it. It's a very, that in, in itself is an embarrassing thing. A friend of mine was taken by a uh, well. You know these people that come around and knock on your door, and they say they're working their way through medical school, and if they can only get four more uh, subscriptions, they will go over the top and they will become famous and become a neurosurgeon or something like that. You know, and they come around. Well, he was taken, and he, he you know he felt sorry for this guy, so he bought about nine different magazines. And he decided what he was going to do was to give him his gifts instead of getting him. So he doesn't read. You know, he's an illiterate and all that. So he just racked out with the $75. And by George, all of a sudden, I started to get this peculiar magazine. And it was the number one issue, number one copy, the very first time that American Heritage came out. It was totally unknown. And for a long time, I was reading this thing and digging it. I, you know, I, I, I kind of... Kind of a joy that you know. It's funny how many people. The other night we did this uh, this show about George Washington. All these people wrote me books about uh, how I could I could read a book and it says you read this book and it'll tell you how Washington was, and you read this book and and it'll tell you how Jefferson was. And I say bourgeois, bourgeois. I have never known. I have known many a person that has been written about. I have known a lot of people in my life who have been written up in the paper who have been written up in contemporary accounts. In fact, uh, it's funny, I, I I knew Malcolm X. I might as well tell you that. I knew Malcolm X, but he does not come out in any of the interviews or the paper accounts that I've read about him. He, he just isn't the way he's described the way the newspapers describe him. And that is in person, when you're sitting down having a cup of coffee with Malcolm X. Uh, I, I have known other people who have been written up in newspapers and they never are, and in even in uh, very serious books. In short, I don't believe the written account of a person can ever quite capture that person. And so uh, I, I still wonder how George Washington really was when he's putting his teeth in in the morning. You know, putting on his socks. He's got to go off to another hard day in the revolution. He's sitting in his tent. Well, of course, he had a lot of hard days in the Revolution. He's sitting in his tent, you know. It's about the second or third year of the Revolution. The snow is up to the roof. And he's sitting in his tent, and they've been chased all over New Jersey, you know. And and it looks like things are going from bad to worse, and now they're going even from worse to worser. And he's sitting in his tent, and he's pulling on his socks, and the wind is blowing in underneath the cot. And uh, he hears a couple of guys griping out there, and another guy, fist fights breaking out there among the riflemen. And he puts his head in his hands, and he just sort of rubs his temples for a minute. You know, before he puts his wig on, he says, oh, boy, what a can of peas we've opened up here. What a can of peas. Oh, gee. Oh, man. And and these things are never brought out. Not in the contemporary accounts of them. Well, anyway, getting back to American Heritage, if you'd like to find out about it, send your name and address with a buck to American Heritage, Box 711. This is a big hardcover magazine now it's very important it costs three dollars and 95 cents per issue and it is highly entertaining and if you'd like to try it send your name and address with a buck to american heritage box 711 great neck new york okay and they'll send you a representative copy now uh, oh before we go any further you want to hear more about covington oh boy talk about opening canopies holy smokes I don't even know whether they use that expression here in New York. Open up a can of peas. You don't use that? What a can of peas. Uh, before we go any further, tomorrow night we are at the limelight. Uh, for the benefit of people who are constantly calling up here. We are here tomorrow night, and it's a full-length show, Matt. You're going to be down there. You better get ready for it. Uh, we come on at five minutes past ten. You're not going tomorrow night? Oh, it's going to be full length. Oh, yeah. Oh, it isn't? Well, anyway, I don't know. I can't keep up with these memos. They keep coming back and forth. We follow the basketball game then. Uh, and so it could be a full-length show. It could not, depending on how the ball game. But nevertheless, immediately following the game, we'll be on until midnight. And if you're scouting around, you're looking for a place to go, give them a call. Now, a lot of people have said, well, look, you haven't told us. I always tell you that you need reservations down there. However, I will say this, that quite often, uh, a lot of people in the flush of Monday morning, in the excitement of Tuesday, make a reservation, which they do not keep on Friday or Saturday. And uh, almost everybody who's ever come down there that I know of has gotten in in one way or another, in spite of not having a reservation. But if you'd like to find out about having a reservation for this weekend, give them a call. It's the limelight in the village. Sheridan Square, you come right down 7th Avenue South and boom, we go on immediately following the oh by the way the show actually in the limelight starts long before that Uh, if you have, yeah that's right if you have a reservation, you better get down there by no later than oh quarter to ten no later than, uh, I'd say 9.30 is about the best time to get down there any later than that they start, you know they say forget it dad, they start letting them in but it's a great place to sit around and have a coffee and just uh, you know schmooch, and uh, we start immediately following the ball game until oh yeah it's one of the very few places I know of you'll agree with me Matt in New York City where almost anybody could feel at home in kids uh, big type people people with minks everything fist fights the whole scene anybody a peculiar homogenous joint. Uh, speaking of peculiar homogenous joints, that reminds me of uh, of Covington, Kentucky. <laughs> At the diner. They had, a, they had a diner there. Now, now I, I spent uh, part of my checkered career one long, hot summer. You know, whenever I see that title, the long, hot summer, I am reminded of my own personal long, hot summer. I was going to college, and I got myself a summer job working in this radio station in Cincinnati. And directly across the river was this festering town. Oh, boy. Uh, you always hear of Chicago, Chicago, that something-something uh, town. What is it? Chicago, Chicago, that... Uh... Now I forget that. How it goes. That something-something town, that great town? No. That swinging town? No. That uh, what? I can't read you guys in here. Just uh, forget it anyway. It's Chicago, Chicago, that something-something town. Well, every time I think of of Covington and Newport, Kentucky... These are festering towns. <laughs> oh boy, I tell you, and and uh, the the heat lays down on the Ohio Valley right in that area. The Ohio River's right there. See, if you don't know your geography, Cincinnati lies in the very southernmost end of Ohio, way down at the end, and it's kind of like a country by itself. For for those of you who don't know Cincinnati, I can I can only say that that John Gunther. In his book Inside America he uh, he listed uh, he said uh, he said what would be the 10 he said if people were to ask me what were the 10 most cosmopolitan towns in the United States I would have to list 1 New York believe it or not 2 San Francisco 3 Cincinnati a curious city now he means cosmopolitan. He does not mean European. He means cosmopolitan. It is a strangely European city because it was, it was called, it was largely settled by Germans uh, back uh, around the turn of the century. And in fact, the entire area down there is called the Rhineland. It's called the Rhineland at uh, the Queen City of the West. And it's a strange, isolated town. Well, directly across from Cincinnati, the river there must be a mile and a half wide. It's a giant river. Oh, yeah, it's, it's much wider than any of our rivers here. Uh, it, it would be as if you took the Hudson, the Harlem, and the East River all together and, li- and put them side by side. The Ohio River is a good mile across at that point. And across that river, there are two or three suspension bridges that lay from Cincinnati across to that dark, lowering shore. But the great towering hills that go higher and higher and sort of roll off to the west, that is KY, Kentucky. And that's a kind of mysterious land to even the people who live in Cincinnati. It's just a very different world. You know how the, the Jerseyites are very different to people who live in New York somehow living in Jersey is a whole new mystique? Well, multiply that by 500 and you have the difference between Cincinnati and Kentucky. The accent is different. Everything. The whole scene. And the heat. Oh, boy, the heat lays there. That heat just sort of lays down in that river. And and about August, you can smell the river. And it does. Now, it, it isn't a smell. It isn't a smell of uh, decay or anything. It's just the river. It's kind of a green, watery, catfish, heat, cattail, sort of soil, mud, life smell. It's a strange smell and it permeates the whole atmosphere all around. And across the river in Covington and in Newport, these two towns lay there. And they're, they're famous for a lot of things. Let me tell you, these towns really, really go. And, and at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning on Madison Avenue in Kentucky and out across in Newport, the, the towns are wide open, wild. just Not, not the kind of wide open like uh, Times Square, but a different kind. They have juke joints. Uh, this is a, a Kentucky version of the discotheque. And uh, very different. Uh, great big red and green jukebox over in the corner there. And it's playing Elvis Presley records. Hound dog. You, you, hound dog. You, rutnel, 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 hound dog. It comes out night after night. And the sound of twanging guitars lay out there across that across that brick road just like snow drifting down out of the sky. You can hear the, you can hear those guitars and those banjos are twanging, and you can hear those, those strange nasal voices. And they wander around the streets at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And the one sound that you hear at maybe 3 o'clock in the morning is the sound of guys roaring up and down the streets that have come up from Hazard, Kentucky and Rabbit Hash, Kentucky. Yeah, there's a town called Rabbit Hash, Kentucky. And they roar up and down the streets in their hot rods. They're really not hot rods. Uh, they're uh, 47 Mercuries. They're 53 Fords that have been channeled, cut down, and painted purple. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And you go, wow. Get out of my way here. Wow. Well, that's life among the Aborigines. It's really something out there. It's a wild scene. And so... I'm living in this. See, I've got I've got a, a pad above a jewelry store, uh, right in the heart of the swinging belt in, in Covington. It would be like having, literally, it would be like having a, an apartment over, over a juice joint, the place where they sell orange juice, right at 46 on Broadway. And I kind of, <laughs> and so uh, my my apartment was never dark, man. Never. It was lit. From the outside by red neon lights no matter what happened I pull the shades and it comes through it soaks it soaks in through the walls and you can feel the jukeboxes heat oh boy oh boy it's it's like 170 degrees all the time in there and I could smell the catfish I could smell the catfish in the river and I could smell the water going past you could just you could literally smell it and feel it and once in a while out on the river the river boat would go by I don't know whether any of you have ever heard the sound of a stern wheeler going past a block and a half from your house with the calliope going. It is a wild sound. And, and yeah, you can hear it drifting at 2 o'clock in the morning. You hear that would be when it was on its trip out. And then when it's coming back, the calliope is turned off, and all you hear is That's the way a paddle wheeler sounds from a block away. And she drifts into the landing down there. And then, boop, boop. And that's it, silence. Well, about a half a block down the street from me was the Wheel Inn Diner. How about that for a name? The Wheel Inn Diner. And it had a great big neon wheel that reached up about 75 feet in the air, you know, like a truck wheel. And it was one of those that spun around and go wheeling, wheeling, it would say in, in green, wheeling, wheeling, big red wheel. And then it would be a big arrow that cut right across it said, eat, eat. And all the time it's pointing wheel and ch- 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 wheel. Well, I, every night about, about two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, I couldn't sleep in this this, this sweat box I lived in. And I could hear the jukeboxes going. And there was a guy who lived directly behind me uh, right across the court. The court was about seven feet square. And this guy lived in the rear apartment who was a cab driver. And he would drive in at exactly two o'clock in the morning and beat up his wife. He would drive in, and she loved it. Uh, he would drive in, I'd hear that Ford, that Ford cab come in, and I would hear it pull up behind, behind my apartment under the window, and I knew I'd be lying there in my sack trying to sleep, see? Oh, well, it's hot, and I could hear way off in the distance the calliope, and I could hear the jukeboxes going, I'd hear the knife fights breaking off down at Delaney's, all those, oh, they had fights up and down the street constantly, the, and I'd hear the roar of the hot run. <laughs> Hey, they're always making with the brakes, you know. And then I would hear those those Kentucky boys, get out of my way. Who are you who are you talking to like that? Well, that was life. <laughs> that was life on Madison Avenue. That was a very different, believe it or not, it's called Madison Avenue. Very different Madison Avenue. Whenever, I, whenever I, I see the name Madison Avenue, I have two images, double images, you know. I could smell the catfish, and I'm lying there, and I hear that guy's Ford with the bad tappets come in. It stops. Silence. Plunk. And he's mad. Boom, He has lost $40 on the ponies, you know. Boom! Slams the door. And then I hear. I'm lying there. Here it comes. Silence. And then I would hear the first. boom, Her head hitting the wall. You I'm going to kill you one day, Clem. I'm going to kill you. Oh, yeah. Boom. Oh, come on when i first moved in there i used to holler out at him you know and then it uh, it turned out that i was making the wife mad so i gave that up (laughs) so that was the way it was all right now you got the picture well every night when i found i couldn't sleep which was every night about two two thirty i would get up and remember i had a i had a radio program at five a.m so i would get up and i would walk down onto that brick road and i would see the I would see the purple fords going past and hear the yelling and the hollering and the guitars crunching over other guys' heads and I could hear the knives going into the ribs. And I would walk down to the middle of the next block to the wheel in diner. And it was brightly lit. You know how diners are with the with the with the big white lights all over the place and the chrome and the stainless steel and everything? It was very antiseptic. And always back at a Back at the counter is Clem, big fat guy. He's back there and always say, hi, boy. I'd come in. (laughs) They didn't know. They were, hi, boy. That's Kentucky. Hi, boy. And there there was a woman there named Emily who worked behind the counter, big fat blonde, who had rings all over her. She had uh, big earrings that hung down to her knees, you know, that kind of stuff. And she's working back there with a white costume. I'd come in. I'd sit down in the middle there. And two or three guys, truck drivers would be down at the other end. A couple of truck drivers would be at the other end. And then there would be two or three people on dates, what euphemistically were called dates in Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you never saw more adenoids in your life. And uh, I'm sitting there. No, I, it's, really, it's really a little surprising, you know, to see a pair of adenoids come in with feet. Literally, you know, with a hat on top. At the, they'd sit down there at the other, and I hear this voice, twanging, the jukebox starts roaring out. Ernest Tubb's record is booming out, or maybe the Delmore Twins are racking it out, or, or uh, Grandpa Jones starts singing, I want to come back to you, baby, pow! I want to come back to you now, pow, pow, pow! I want to come back, I want to come back, pow, 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 pow! I'm a going to go on... Oh, boy. So I'm leaning back there, drinking my... I always would come in and get myself a vanilla malt. It was the only thing that was cold. and you know, it was cold, and I didn't... The, the Cokes were sweet, and I'd sit there and drink my vanilla malt and eat a hamburger and sort of... Kill time. That's all. And the neon signs are flashing. This is really American life, you know. This is, this is pure, distilled American life. Well, one night I'm sitting there. It must have been about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. Just sitting there clam is back at the cash register one of these big chrome jobs you know sitting there picking his teeth reading the reading the police gazette and uh the the big old waitress is putting some more pies into the case everything is going normal a couple of clots are sitting up there in the front there with their jackets on and their their jazzy little you know the little hats with the white bills their motorcycle type things the world is going along when suddenly the door opens, they had these sliding doors, and it was an air-conditioned place. That's really why I came there. And they had these little sliding doors. And the door slides open. And in steps a chick. A chick, a real chick. She was about 18 years old. Real, you know, and she was sort of dark-haired and looked very, very civilized. And I said, well, hi, <laughs> hey, George. And the chick comes in and sits down at the end booth. They had the little tiny booths in there. She sits at the end booth. Clem starts to get up. He's going to walk over and see what she wants. And he's got a couple of menus in his hand. And Clem walks over towards her. And, and in then came her little brother. Her little brother looked like he was about, I'd say, 10, 12, something like that. This kid comes in. And he's wearing a sweater, you know, a little sleeveless-type sweater with a pair of chinos. And he sits down there with her. And Clem goes over and says, well, what do you want, folks? And the girl takes the menu and she looks at it. I'm eyeing the chick, see? I'm sitting there. You're <laughs> <laughs> Things are picking up here. And so I turned, you see, and I'm watching her now in the mirror. They had a mirror right back at a bar, see. And I'm sitting there watching her and drinking my my malt and knocking down the cheeseburger, and I'm trying to play it cool. I'm sitting there saying, oh, well, she's got to see this profile. Eventually. She's got to see it. see, I'm watching the thing now. I'm giving her the eye, and she is paying no attention, and she's sitting there with her kid brother, and Clem goes back around the counter, and now he gets a pair of a uh, couple of pieces of pumpkin pie or something. He comes out with a pie, and he's got the Coke and the candy or whatever it is, and he goes back, and he puts it down in his little chit-chat, and he comes back and sits down then back at a, back at a cash register. And I'm watching that. I'm slopping up that vanilla malt. And outside, Kentucky is going out. Wow! Eh! You know? Wow! Wow! wow. I want my sunshine, my little sunshine. You are my sunshine, It's going on out there. Oh, if you have never lived until you have heard somebody sing through one nostril at five o'clock in the morning. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make my life go all the way. Well, that's the way they sound. They go in and out, you know. Night, of, I'm sitting there, and the life is just rich and full. Now, Ernie Tubb is roaring out of the jukebox, and I am watching the chick. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really on the makes, looking at the scene over, and I'm knocking down the malt. And Clem is looking at me. See, Clem realizes that old Shep is going to go into high gear here any second now. See, and he's looking at me. He's has got kind of got that. You know how fat men grin. He's got that fat man grin, you know, so just half grin there, it's a little unshaven. And I'm watching the chick. And she's looking in her purse, See, yeah, I see she's going through a purse, and I figure, well, you know, she's going to get out the the compact, she's going to do a little nose dusting. I've always had, you know, this is, a, this is a thing that men know, you know, whenever they get the attention of the chick, somehow they get a little flustered, you know, and they start lighting cigarettes or something. So she's, I said, haha, we can to make the scene here, I'm scoring a little bit. She's looking in her purse. And she reaches down in her purse. And she pulls something out. That is the first time I have ever seen a blue steel compact. I look again, you know, I can't believe it. She has got a Roscoe mat that must have weighed four and a quarter pounds. This thing was at least a 105 howitzer. I never saw anything like it. I sort of scrunched back. Without saying a word, this chick gets up and walks over to Clem... Holds this thing up and said in a nice, clearly modulated voice with just the touch of a southern accent, This is a stick-up. There was a silence that you could have cut with a butter knife. In spite of the jukebox roaring, in spite of the, of the 47 Mercuries that were surrounding us for all miles on end, we just sat there, the truck drivers, over, said, this is a stick-up. Clem said, What? She just holds the gun up, doesn't say anything, just points it right at his head. He said, oh, I see. He gets up there, you know, he's a fat man. He starts to hitch up his pants. He said, Pull up your hands. Oh. I see. And she walks back up the counter and hits the no sail thing. Boing! With that, this little kid gets up and he's got a knife in his mitt and a bag. He comes over and he's shoveling the money in and there she stands with the roscoe on all of us holy smokes what are you doing now matt well <laughs> she comes out from behind the counter and clem is standing there with his mouth hanging You just he ain't moving he's sweating the air conditioning is going the temperature is 34 degrees in this joint and he's sweating he just stand there he ain't moving an eyeball he isn't going to move and she comes back from around the counter And she walks up to each one of us. She says, give me a wallet. Come on, come on, put it on the counter there. And each one of us reaches in his pocket and lays it out. Sitting there, boom, boom. It's the only time of my life I ever got robbed at gunpoint. Boom, boom. There is five wallets laid out along that four mica counter. Boom, 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 boom. With the ice water. Boom, boom, boom. Between the cheeseburgers. And there ain't a muscle being moved. And she just walks along and picks each one up as she goes. Plunk, plunk, in the bag. The kid's following her. And she's got the Roscoe, turns around. She says, I want to thank all of you. Backs out of the joint and then stops by the door. She says, stay away from the phone. Count ten. And then you can call anyone you want. She slides the door open and they're out in the night. And we sat there for a second. And then out in the parking lot you heard, Vroom, vroom, wow, (coughs) Off in the distance, I tell you, crime don't look the way it should look. It just don't look the way it looks on Route 66, Matt. Crime don't look that way. I'll tell you that it just don't. And we're sitting there, all of us, oh, <laughs> the whole crowd of us, is sitting there, kind of, kind of with, the, kind of with, the, with that sweaty feeling inside. And finally, Clem said. I guess, uh, I guess we better call the police. And somebody sitting down at the other end of the counter says, what are you talking about, Clem? That won't do you no damn bit of good. And Clem says, we better call him anyway. And <laughs> the guy at the other side said, okay, Clem, he said, use your dime. You got a dime left? And so we start looking for dimes. We got, uh, we're, we're, clean, you know. No, we got no driver's license. The whole scene is gone. I've lost, I've lost my $19, the whole bitch, you know. And so we start looking for dimes, and finally somebody comes up with a dime and goes around, you know, puts it in the water there, Then all back up to the thing in the slot and makes the call. And we sat there. And we sat and waited. Fifteen minutes go by, twenty minutes, and finally that big old car with that flashing red light shows up out in front. (laughs) And a couple of these real big Covington, Kentucky policemen get out. Oh, man. They get out. They come walking in. You know, they got the they got the big black belts around their waist. You know, and a couple of Roscos hanging on each side, and they come walking in. What going on in here? Clem says we've been held up. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's have a description. All oh, of you sit down here. Give me a description. It's. Uh, he gets out his gets out his notebook. And Clem says, Well, it was a girl. A girl, kind of kind of a dark. Pretty girl come in here he said, oh I know that's Clara. yeah okay that's Clara that's Clara, yeah that's Clara. she's been knocking over joints all right she just come up from my believe she come up in Louisville yeah okay uh what time's she in here let's see what time's it now it's uh seventeen minutes past three said so what time have you figured about ten minutes to three she come in here okay two fifty one uh was she accompanied? And yeah, yeah, she came with a little kid. It looks, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Howard. Okay, Howard came in here. We're sitting there. It just don't look like Route 66, you know. This ain't the way it should be. <laughs> and one of the guys at the end says, "You think you'll get him? Think you'll get him, Sheriff?" He says, I ain't no sheriff, but I don't think so. No. So I figure we'll get him about spring, maybe. We we'll get him next spring, so they may. We we'll get him. Don't worry about it. And somebody says, well, what about my driver's license? And you just got to go down to City Hall tomorrow and tell them that Claire was around, that's all. Maybe they'll find it in the river. Out they go. And I hear the sound. <coughs> <coughs> Off goes the fuzz. Well, I sat there for a minute with my straw in my mouth. Clem sits down at the other end, and I'm reaching my pocket to pay. Clem sits on the house tonight. <laughs> We're all busted. <laughs> I go out. I go out into the darkness. Now it's now about quarter to four, and the heat is laying down on me. A couple of mercuries go by, and I can hear the jukeboxes roaring out of the next juke joint. I can hear Ernest Tub wailing in the darkness out there, and somewhere off in the distance the old paddle wheeler is getting ready to make its first morning trip. Choo choo-choo choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-chooch choo 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 Oh, life is rich. Life is real. Life is life. I'm the sheep. The sheep of Arabine. <laughs> and your love baby belongs to me. Some night when you're Asleep. You <laughs> too. Your tent. I'll creep, 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 creep. The stars above. da 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 la da 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 beep 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 da 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 Sometimes that's about all you can do. Sit here and pick your teeth and whistle a sheik of Araby. Watch the moon go by and figure it all work out in the end sometime. All work out. Keep your knees loose. Be ready to jump in any direction. And by the way, be careful of chicks that carry blue steel compacts. That's an entirely different breed. Just an entirely different world, entirely. How'd you like to go juking tonight with old Shep, huh? How'd you like to get out of Big Jack's tonight, huh? We're going to have ourselves a lemon coke. We'll sit around and pick up a little, little old gal or two, huh? You want to go down there and do a little juking, huh? Put a couple quarters in the jukebox and hear old Ernie any tub. Sing about you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make my life. Hey, you want to go down and do that, huh? Or would you like to go down and maybe just sit around the Bluebird and have a couple beers, huh? Like do that in Tennessee Williams country? Yeah, life is real. Life is earnest. See you tomorrow night, gang, after the big old basketball game. We'll just hang around a corner knock down a couple of cheeseburgers. And see how the birds fall, huh?